0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: If I ventured in the slipstream, this episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRunGood.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing on the podcast can be found over at RickRunGood.com. It is the largest golf betting and fantasy golf statistical database on the internet. We've got Euro Tour to stats, Corn Ferry Tour stats, live custom model generator. Rick has made a ton of improvements to that over the last couple of weeks. Plus all my premium articles, Slack channel, where you can reach me for any questions. So sign up today using promo code Andy so they know that I sent you. That is the important part. And we would love to have you as part of the team. All right. I also want to give a major shout out to a new partner of the podcast, and that is par for success. Have you ever wondered how you compare to other golfers your age? I know I have. Should you be swinging faster? Can you play without pain? What is your body even capable of at your age? These are all questions I'm reckoning with myself as it appears that my body is already starting to break down in my late 20s. Now you can find out the answers to all of these questions in less than five minutes. Par for Success has the largest research database of over 6,000 golfers, just like you, and is giving away the answers to these questions for free. Stop guessing, go get the answers for free at parforsuccess.com slash Andy. As a bonus for listening to this show, you can also receive a free Zoom consultation to go over your results and give you a clear path forward. This is put together by Golf Digest Top 50 Golf Fitness and Medical Experts, and over 90% of golfers have no idea how they compare. Do not be one of them. Get your answers for free at parforsuccess.com Andy. Find out how you should be swinging, how to get rid of pain, and how to play forever. Your best golf ever for free at parforsuccess.com slash Andy. All right. Coming up on this podcast My good friend Rob G. and I are breaking down the entire DraftKings slate for the MyKoba. Pretty good tournament, actually, that I'm pretty excited for. So without further ado, let's bring on Rob. All right, Rob G. is here. It's been a while, man. We were just catching up off air a little bit. Bunch of life changes, more so specifically for yourself. You have had a kid. We were talking about how, uh, you know, the kind of sleepless nights and, you know, having to wake up with the kid at three in the morning has actually kind of helped your DraftKings uh, ability at least somewhat, but we've got a fun event this week. You know, I, I haven't been super, super locked into the fall swing the way I normally mm-hmm. would, but I'm excited to sit down and uh, talk some my with you today, my friend.
2: Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It has been a minute, but always nice to get back in, in front of you. And I know you've been traveling so much, kind of living vicariously through you (laughs) and your pictures. Those trips uh, just just seem incredible. I do do have to ask. I know you kind of already processed abandon, uh, (laughs) but how how bad did your feet hurt after abandon?
1: You know, it is one of those experiences where during it, you don't Mm -hmm. really feel anything. Like you're walking easy 15,000 steps a day, probably closer to like 25 But you're so engaged in the golf that you don't really feel your body starting to ache. I got sick when I got home. Like I realized Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I did not drink enough water on this trip whatsoever. My entire lower body is hurting. So it's kind of the type of thing where during it, you don't really feel it because you're so locked into the moment, but then you kind of pay for it a Mm -hmm. little bit after are you is it on the periphery for you i haven't even done i'm doing like a huge i'm doing a ton of banded podcasts that i'm going to release over Mm -hmm. the off season but is it something you're you're looking at i I can't recommend it highly enough
2: yeah that's you know i would think that's kind of on now like the especially within america the mount rushmore and so yeah it's a dream and I don't know when I probably not anytime soon that I'll get out there just because with having a newborn, right. But gosh, yeah, I that, that's, gets high. Maybe not, maybe it is number one, but that's, you know, in the top five, definitely of places that I would, and it seems like a great golf trip. I mean, you seems like you had some good buddies there. Uh, it just seems like an awesome place.
1: The one thing I'll say about Bandon too, before we get into my Coba, <laughs> I'm a Duke. I'm going to talk at length about this whole thing in, in a couple upcoming podcasts during the fall swing. It's really affordable. It's really doable. Really? And I think that's why the business model works. And I think that's why they continue to be so packed. But it's the type of thing that seems conceivable. Like it's a trip that you walk away from and say, man, like price wise, logistics wise, I could probably do this. Every other year for the rest of my life, like I could definitely mm-hmm. make room for doing this on a seg- semi regular basis for the rest of my life. He keeps it like pretty underpriced to the point where it's like, Man, I feel like this should be more expensive. And one mm-hmm. of the things I like about Bandon that you don't really get at a place like Pebble Beach is you're not, you don't ever really feel like you're surrounded by, you know, hotshot millionaire golfers Mm -hmm. there. I mean, it's a, it's a bunch of regular guys going on. I mean, we met guys from golf trips from Texas and Seattle and like, it's a place that you can go with your golf trip every other year, conceivably financially. And I think that's what makes it so appealing. I mean, you, if you called up Bandon today, I don't think you'd be able to get in for like another full calendar year. So, I mean, they are they're booked off the charts and i think part of the reason for that is Kai, mike kaiser has figured out like a very very smart strategy of making it affordable enough to the point where you can kind of feel like if you're just a regular dude that you can really make this happen once a year once every other year which i i think adds to the experience in my opinion
2: yeah no doubt and it seems again i've never been so maybe you can speak more to it but it seems a Spiritual experience, and especially from—I know it's a lot easier, yeah—to get to uh, Oregon from LA, where you're located the majority of the time. And so, us East right. Coasters, it's a little bit more of a trek. But then, um it's a—it's a little bit off the beaten path. Like it's a little hard to get to from you know, flying into whether it's Eugene. I'm sure you, yeah, we did Fla-
1: Eugene, which was not bad. Not bad. But yeah, it is. You're right. I mean, it's definitely not near a metropolitan, a large metropolitan area.
2: But yeah, but that's that seems like part of the, I guess, the awe of it, too. It's this pilgrimage that that you're taking where the the, you're having shared meaning amongst your, your friends and your group and by walking, you know, you're more connected to the land and that land is, you know, I've seen the drone footage. It's just incredible. And it's, I'm sure breathtaking, but then also walking adds a piece of, of mindfulness that you're just connected to here now in the moment. And so the focus is the land, the activity, what you're doing of golf, and then maybe who you're with, and that's just gotta be great for somebody's soul.
1: Oh, it's the best. It is the type of place that you come back from and you're like, wow, I feel totally refreshed, totally recharged. Mm -hmm. My love of golf is at an all time high. It's like a night, you know, if I imagine many people have felt a little bit downtrodden or tired of what the professional landscape has turned into with golf right now, Mm -hmm. uh, with the explosion of live and how that has put our sport in just like a really objectively weird place, whether you're, for or against live or whatever i think like the one thing that we can all agree on is that golf is in just a really precarious interesting spot right now where i don't think anyone can really predict where it's going and some of the stuff you know whether it's watching the butterfield bermuda or whether it's watching web it's like some of it can leave kind of a just a eh taste in your mouth you know and so you come back from a place like bandon and it's like wow i am my love of golf my uh faith in the game is totally restored after being Mm -hmm. at a place like this it's a total palate cleanser but to transition into this week like i think it's for fall swing event goes this is pretty solid right you know i i we had a much stronger field last year. It was like an uncharacteristically strong field last year. I still think this one's like pretty solid. It mm-hmm. certainly has more intrigue than last right. week's Butterfield Bermuda. So how would you rate kind of your interest level in this tournament? First of all, have would you say that you've been following the fall swing super closely? Does that maybe change this week for you? Do you have like a favorite fall swing event? Do you, is this a, course that you particularly feel like you're drawn to what's kind of the excitement levels for the mayakoba
2: you know i think as we're we start getting into november and maybe we realize there's not a lot of golf left before the little bit of like kind of the winter break and then there's there's not a lot of good golf left you know you you got to throw in i think the houston open and the rsm and the hero and things like so yeah, I'm excited. I know the, the CJ Cup is always good and I'm glad, you know, is that Congaree? That's always just kind of cool to see. And so yeah, I didn't fun. watch, I didn't watch much golf last week, you know, we're recording this on Halloween and it just kind of fitting and it's kind of a dad joke, but you know, it's fitting because it, that was scary stuff yesterday. I did, I did write up Ben Griffin on FanShare and that kind of, uh, you know, you know, a poor guy, you know, didn't work, work out as well, but <laughs>
1: it certainly did not No,
2: <laughs> No, but I guess that, that feel, I, I can't remember a feel maybe worse than that. And I'm sure there is, but yeah, now that now we get Scotty, Hoblin, Victor, you know, Tony, a, a few kind of a few studs and it's, so it piques the interest. It's uh yeah, it's, it, it's, it's something to get up about. It's you know, always going to, I don't know about you, but you, you've been kind of hot on NFL. Your, your ROIs are are pretty impressive. (laughs) It's hard to, um, follow both simultaneously, especially on Sunday. But I feel like this is one of those weeks where you can kind of make it happen.
1: Totally agree. And I watched the Butterfield last week, you know, solely because I had a big ticket on Ben Griffin. I, to be honest, I do not think that I would have made room i'm a one screen guy so you know i gotta prioritize i don't have the luxury of having multiple screens i could kind of put something up on my laptop but Mm -hmm. you know for the big screen it's usually nfl during the fall swing but yeah i think this event i like this golf course i you know i'm not a huge fan of greg norman as a designer i think that (laughs) he tends to do some I, I just are you, don't think are you a fan isn't. of
2: Greg Norman in other ways?
1: Uh, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but as a designer, I think that he tends to rely on some more gimmicky stuff as opposed to mm-hmm. really using the natural land to kind of create interesting green complexes. He doesn't, I don't think that he's super talented at that, but what I do like about this golf course is it has a distinct character to me. Right. And I think there are a lot of golf courses on the PGA tour that don't really have a distinct character. And in my opinion, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the course as well, but to me, this is a real position, a position B golf course like this, you know, the term coastal course gets thrown around a lot. This is not really a coastal course at all. You're maybe getting one, one or two holes that are exposed to the ocean. It's really not you know when i think coastal course i think wind is a giant factor it's it's really not that much of a factor at this course i mean a little bit but mm-hmm. the course is pretty much framed by this giant mangrove jungle right where yeah, you're right. kind of you're weaving through this kind of dense uh jungle you have canals uh, kind of running through the property you're kind of in this like enclosed space where you know, if you hit the ball in the mangroves, you're dead on arrival, right? Like that's yeah. a penalty mm-hmm. stroke. There's no hitting the green in regulation from there. So to me, this is a golf course that has a pretty specific personality, right? It has, it, it's asking you the question of, can you keep the ball in the fairway off the tee? Because if you cannot do that, if you cannot complete that essential step one, then you are somewhat dead on arrival. And I like golf courses like that because I think it gives you the ability to kind of create and shape and formulate a narrative around the way that you think this golf course is going to play and then kind of cater your DraftKings pool to that.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And i you know, I don't have your eye for the golf courses. That's something, one of the many kind of talents you have. And so I'm not going to say much, because I don't think, I don't think anybody listening wants me to you know, add to what you have. They just want me to shut up and listen to you. But uh, yeah, I think this is one of the shortest courses or top yeah. five on tour. And so just kind of reiterating that point, but you know, I'll, um, I'm going to defer to your lens and your viewpoints on the course.
1: Yeah, it is one of the shortest on the PGA Tour schedule. I think it is a hair over 7,000 yards and plays as a par 71. Right, so mm-hmm. you're getting that extra par five in there, and it's still only seven thousand yards. It's going to tip out to one of the shortest on the schedule. I think there's one par four over like four hundred and sixty-five yards on the entire property. So you're getting this large plurality of short par fours. But uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you saying that about my course knowledge. But I think you're selling yourself short a little bit, especially when it comes to DraftKings. And we'll get we'll get to the DraftKings. Uh, uh, pricing in a second here, but you were one of I think one of the first people that I followed on DraftKings that I really saw kind of talking about the things that I thought were personally important that didn't really get talked about enough in the industry. Which is spoiler alert: ownership. Um, <laughs> and so I've I've probably gotten I think the last time you're on the podcast about at least six months, maybe closer to a year. Definitely got some new viewers. So maybe just quickly before we get into the DraftKings, maybe give a little background on kind of your history with DraftKings and how you became, how you've honestly had like a one of the more successful stories of people that I know in terms of actually winning money and not just kind of talking about it. um, That I know at least in the Twitter space.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So I. You know, I guess it's the last five or six years have had an ROI positively within PGA DFS. At the end of every year, I post. Um, there's this thing out there called Roto Tracker, I believe it's called. That kind of you upload your entries; it shows your ROI, how, how your success rate. I post it every year, and um, last two years, yeah, uh, three years, really have been successful, and they come in different ways. Uh, you know, whether it's winning a GPP and I'm not, you know, I know like Tambo and some of the great, you know, Tony out there, some of the greats, I, you know, I, my, my goal is to win six figures in one event that hasn't happened, has won 50K, won in the 20s a couple of times. Um, and that all just obviously helps, especially I'm a GPP player. And so it's it's just about re- withstanding the, uh, you know, kind of the, the what, what tends to happen in GPPs is that you can lose. If you're playing for, let's just say yeah, a year, you can lose 12 months or 11 months out of the year, excuse me. And then you have the, that one month where you might take down a GPP and it just st- sends your ROI just kind of skyrocketing. But this past year has been kind of different where there was a, a two-month period this summer. It was almost like every other week I was winning 10K here, 5K here, 4K, 10K. And it was a little bit more consistent in the meat of the summer um, never didn't win. I won like, you know, a a smaller showdowns kind of GPPs, but it was finishing top five pretty consistently. Um, and that really helped the ROI. It wasn't as high as last year. So I think last year was around like 30 and now this is like 18 or 19, um, as of right now. But, uh, it was just interesting how that switch, I guess that shows that there's many ways to be successful at this, but, one way I started just with having a small presence on like within the golf Twitter community is, yeah, this was before, you know, your show, Brian's show. I I was just listening to these uh, kind of the talking heads at the time and they were going over DraftKings plays and talking about salary and nobody was talking about game theory. And I'm not saying that I invented it. I'm not saying that, uh, I came up with it or anything because people, professionals, were been using it long before I have. But nobody was just, you know, saying it. I kind of it got me thinking that, gosh, if people really want to be successful about this, they need to kind of consider it. Um, that was my viewpoint, and went into about how to maybe use ownership in a, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a therapist, so maybe it's the wrong lingo, but a healthy way. I'm sure there's a productive. I don't know what else to say, but yeah, a healthy way because. What tends to really happen, especially I see it now and or with new players, is that we hear the term contrarian and we think of ownerships and a week where chalk hits. And then we just kind of abandon the strategy. Maybe a perfect example is last week in NFL. And I know I'm jumping around, but last week was, I think, in NFL, the most chalkiest week to hit in NFL. And it's kind of been like that throughout. Was it really?
1: I don't play yeah, well, NFL DFS, but I'm I'm always curious to hear because I I have oh, a lot man. of friends that are in the space. It was one of those weeks.
2: It was yeah, I probably the most shockiest I've ever seen. First, you had around sixty percent. Tony Pollard score three <laughs> touchdowns, and that was was <laughs> kind of kind of a theme. And so wh- when that happens, people think, well, that contrarian stuff maybe doesn't work, and they abandon their strategy, and they get so inconsistent. Um, and, and game theory is is a lot of ways but one way specifically related to this related to this is saying that okay I can't take things so week by week or I say live in paycheck to paycheck you have to kind of zoom out because the real game is not fully just picking golfers against the salary and it's you're not. just making the best lineup the real game is finding leverage against your other lineups you're competing against in your your tournament and how you do that is consistently, find um, and you kind of do it so well salary versus ownership you know what leverage does that create and how can you highlight on that and what I'm really doing this fall swing is even leaning into that game theory more and taking pretty kind of wild stands and what I mean yeah. by that if I'm making 150 lineups I might have a hundred I go a hundred percent of a golfer who's in the 7k and two percent. Uh, and the majority, 95% of the weeks, I could be busted by Thursday eve or Friday evening. Yeah. But in that one opportunity where that golfer might smash, and it may only come one tournament a year, it gives me the best opportunity to win a GPP, which is what your goal should be playing GPPs. Uh, long-winded but that's uh that's the short of it i guess
1: (laughs) i could talk game theory with you all day too because i know i agree you were one of the reasons why i was drawn to you and we were able to become friends a while ago was you were one of like you just outlined one of the people that was like hey how are we talking about DraftKings, but not Mm -hmm. talking about this like you're ba- it was basically a thing for a long time in terms of content, where people were treating DraftKings slates like they were betting shows, where yeah, yeah. you were talking about DraftKings pricing and DraftKings plays as if you were playing against the Bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, do you get what I'm saying? There it was oh, like no, doubt. Were, no doubt. No we doubt. We were we were doing DraftKings shows and talking about them like they were betting shows, right? And mm-hmm. I talk about betting. And I talk about DraftKings and it's like, yo, the guys that I like for betting could be far different than the guys that I like yeah. for DraftKings, right? You've got to realize you're you're playing different games. In betting, you're playing against the books. In DraftKings, you're playing against other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this whole other psychology behind it that you need to consider. Um, let's dive right into the pricing. So it we're recording this pretty early on Monday afternoon. So I honestly, I don't know if any ownership projections have, have come out. I know that ours on Rick run good usually come out uh month later in Monday mm-hmm. evening. So we'll probably do our best guess to do some guessing and projecting of ourselves. Uh, but I'm looking at the 10 K range here. Scheffler is the highest price player at 11.4. Then you have Victor Hovland, two time defending champion, 11.2 more 10.6 feet 10.4. Aaron Wise, 10.2. Billy Horschel, 10. Um, I'm going to give you a two-part question here, Rob. Part A is, who do you expect to be the chalk in this range? And part B is, who is the guy that you probably have most uh, interest in yourself personally?
2: Yeah, that's that's really tricky. And so I maybe answer the second question first, and that's Colin Morikawa was extremely high on him yeah. at the CJ Cup, finished 29th uh, but but just struck the ball incredibly well. And I vintage Morikawa
1: ball striking, right? Exactly, like, and, like and totally we're gonna, vintage. Yeah,
2: yeah, and we're going to see positive regression from him. Uh, you know, look, he finished fifth the Masters, fifth in the U.S. Open. But I, I think he in second at the Genesis. I think he would even consider though going winless last year of as of a disappointment. I, I think we see Morikawa respond in this new season and going into kind of next year really. Uh, and the ball striking's there now. He has lost over six strokes on the you know, on the greens, but that that's Morikawa. Uh, yeah, it, it just com- comes with the territory. But I, I have a hard time getting off on one because I just mentioned, I think we see positive regression, but also he, at the CJ Cup, he was one of the lower owned in the price range, a little bit uh, more talented field there than here. But over the last 24 rounds, he ranks second on approach, fourth in ball striking, eleventh from I think a key proximity range, which is 75 to 100 yards um, and yeah. just total proximity. He ranks second. So it's hard to get away from Murakawa. If I, if he didn't model that well, I I would say he would be kind of low owned and people might obviously lean to Scotty, the victor, but, uh, what tends to happen, everyone has the same information. And I think maybe even Colin now might become one of the highest owned in this range. What, yeah. What do you think?
1: No, I agree with you. I think that there is a, there is going to be a lot of overthinking here and trying to be sneaky, which is what you start to see a lot in the 10k range where everybody thinks that hovland is going to be the play Mm -hmm. uh he's a two-time defending champion what's not to like about victor hovland and then they say to themselves okay the obvious play is hovland so i'm not going to do that i'm going to go 600 cheaper and take the discount on morikawa who like Mm -hmm. you said models out really well is just anybody who looks at the ball striking numbers is going to see that it right. really appears the arrow at we at least can agree on is pointing up. Right. And you brought up the putting concerns. He lost. he did lose six at the CJ cup, which is like aggressively bad. But uh, before Colin won, I believe it was the concession. Um, mm-hmm. So a little over a year ago when he won the concession, He lost eight strokes putting in the start directly prior to winning the concessions. Right, so we have seen Morikawa turn the putter around really, really quickly. I'm with you. I think that ownership will be. I don't think between this big four, right, and I think we can say the big four are Scheffler, Hovland, Morikawa, and Finau. I don't think that one player will emerge as. 30%, right? I I just, I don't see that. I think there's enough parity between those four. Mm Finau was number one in my model. There's a ton of great things we could say about Finau. Scotty Scheffler obviously is still, Mm -hmm. you know, the second ranked player in the world. Um, So, right. So I think that that range, not one overwhelming chalk is going to emerge. I think some people would think that that would maybe be Hovland. I don't think that there will be a massive discernible difference between Hovland and the other guys. What's interesting is once you get lower, right, which is Aaron wise is 10.2. Now I think Aaron wise, if Aaron wise was 9.7, I think he would maybe be the highest owned player on the slate, but now that he is priced up and he's 20 to one in the betting market. So no one's going to bet Aaron wise at 20 to one either. Right. The fact that wise is priced up that much and there's a $200 difference between Wise and Finau, and I think most people would agree that Finau is better than $200 mm-hmm. more expensive than Wise. I think that the bottom of this range is where you might start to see a little bit of opportunity with Wise and Horschel.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of Horschel, I have no idea why Wise is $200 more than them. If
1: you makes no sense to me either.
2: It, it does. Yeah, I Wise beat him by one position point at the CJ Cup. He finished sixth. Horschel finished seventh. But Horschel won the Memorial. And funny enough, Wise, I think, I think finished second to him at the Memorial. But Billy is in better form, as better back class. And as the model out, much better than Wise. It's just kind of fascinating. But you, I think you're right that Wise may even be more popular than Billy. And I just want to say this. Let's, let's just say that we Billy is 10% and Wise is 24%. Yeah. Don't think it will be that huge. But let's just pretend it is. What people make a huge mistake is, is let's just say then Billy, Ho- Billy Horschel misses the cut. We tout Billy Horschel, he misses the cut this week and Wise goes on the, the finish, uh, I'd say, like in the top 10. Mm-hmm. People say, oh my gosh, Billy Horschel was a bad play. Why did I even include him in my player pool? There is so much, please remember this. You have a lot of good listeners. Remember that there is so much variance in golf that to really understand a bad or good play, they would have to play the tournament a hundred times in similar conditions to see if someone was an actual good play or bad play. There's that much variance in golf. So do not have a process and you identify a golfer that might be one of your favorite plays and he bounces and think that was a bad play. Maybe, but there's so much variance that you cannot abandon that. And I see so many people complain and share that on Twitter. And just because the player MCs does not mean it was a bad play, and do not then abandon the strategy. Uh, I, but I'm curious now in the in the 9K because uh-huh. th- there, there's guys who are modeling out well. They don't have the name recognition, and then there's some deep back class guys that I really like that maybe are going to make a I think a return. Speaking of positive regression, but what do you like maybe down in the 9K? <laughs>
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply. Need to hire you need indeed.
1: Um, I really like Tom Hoagie. I don't know how popular he's going to be Rob. I think that he is expensive. Um, and I, Although the guys below him, I don't know if you could make a case that any of the guys really below him should be more expensive than Tom Hoagie based on the way that Hoagie has been playing. But I still think a $9,500 price tag, uh, he's what the eighth highest, uh, highest price player in this field. Like I still think people are going to say, yeah, Tom Tom Hoagie, $9,500. I just think that this is a guy that has a specific skill set. That is going to make him a shit ton of money on the PGA Tour for many years. Tom Hoagie Mm -hmm. is statistically one of the best wedge players in the world over like a two-year sample size. That has not decreased since he won at Pebble Beach, right? He's on this nice little run now where he's... Finish top fifteen, like four strokes in a row. Like as long as Tom Tom Hoagie remains a top five wedge player in the world, like he's going to have a very long career on the PGA Tour. Don't know how much he's going to win, but I think it it increases his floor a lot because he is dependent on a skill set that tends to be very very important week in and week out on the PGA Tour. There are a couple courses, Torrey Pines. Bay Hill, some of the major championships where wedge play isn't important. But I break these courses down every single week. 80% of the courses, Rob, you need to, you're going to have like 40, 50% wedges. And Tom Hoagie yeah. is so elite at this particular skill set. And I think this is one of those courses where it matters. So I'm pretty big on Hoagie. I can't buy Taylor Montgomery. I just, listen, if you've been riding the guy, He's gained like 19 strokes putting in four events this year. Keep playing him by all means. I'm not hopping on now. He's the best player in the world, uh, best putter in the world this year. He's like past Cam Smith over the last month as, as the best putter in the world. Like I can't, I've never made money chasing putting. I'm not going to start now. So for me, probably Hoagie. Would be the guy in this range that I care most about. And then I want to ask you about Grio too, because I think Grio would be my selection for the most popular player in this range.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you on Grillo and they kind of back you on If So, you know, I guess not surprised, but when you see all the low numbers next to his statistics, it does kind of rattle you a little bit because it, it, you know, it's Hokey. I mean, he. Yeah. He's an, he's on an a credible run right now, and yeah, he's won at Pebble Beach and has he played well last year? But gosh, he ranks first on approach, third in ball striking, second in proximity. You're speaking of the wedges from 100 to 125, yeah. fourth in proximity alone. It's gosh, it's uh, if you were just kind of hiding the names, you might think, gosh, that's like Scotty Scheffler. I, I would bet, but no, it, it's Tom Hogie. and like we were saying with uh, Colin. Everybody is going to see that. And so then I'm, you know, here's my kind of attitude. If hokey is going to be pretty chalky, I might just say, regardless of everything, I'm not, I'm just going to fade him and and keep him out of my player pool. But there's no denying of how well he is playing. A guy I really like is, is Brendan Todd. Uh, I I do not think he'll be highly owned at all. He he played really well. He played really well at the Fortinet, you know, missed the cut of the Sanderson's farms, but he played exceptionally well, specifically on approach at the CJ Cup, a course. Now, it was really dry, but of course, we wouldn't think, you know, maybe best suited him. um, But gained seven strokes on approach. So, you know, kind of trending in that well, uh, wet way we like to use. And using just a uh, cumulative numbers of ball striking and approach, just some ball striking stats, Brendan Todd is trending in the right way. He, he went from, you know, last 23 or 24 to 50 rounds being some of the worst in the field. And last 12 being ranking 33rd, last eight ranking 19, and then last four ranking fifth. That's a nice progression that maybe we're heading to for a peak ball striking performance from, from Brendan Todd. Uh, I, I would expect he's around 8, 9, 10%. And the guy hasn't lost strokes putting since May of last year. So that that's pre- pretty you know, pretty consistent. He's always been a good putter, a good on Bermuda, a good, you know, I guess pass ballum. I I don't but what, what surface do we got this week?
1: We, we got pass, we got past yeah. palm. And and yeah. you know, putting statistics with pass Palm can be a little tricky, right? Because you get it at courses like Corrales and here where mm-hmm. we don't have shot tracker. But yeah, Todd has proven, I mean, he's won this event before. So he definitely has proven that he can putt on pass palm, right? Pass palm is, mm-hmm. it's, a you know, it's about personal preference, right? I mean, we could argue until right. we're blue in the face, whether pass palm's easier or harder to put on, but the reality of the situation is you're just looking for players that have shown that they have raised their baseline on pass palm. And Brenda Todd has done that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I want to get your opinion. I know, unless anything you have in the nine K range, but, I, I do want to skip down and just make sure we mention in the 8K, and that's someone who has quite a bit of history in Mexico and not all good, but someone who's actually found some form and found some life. And that's the bottom of the 8K range, and that's Matt, Matt Kuchar. Do you have? We any- love him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> we love him. I forgot what podcast. I just as soon as you mentioned that name, I remember that there was. A tournament where uh, we were both super high on Matt Kuchar. I have no memory whether that ended up working out for us, but <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent, dude. I love Matt Kuchar this week. I don't think he's dead. Like, I don't think that at forty-two years old, he's incapable of winning at the PGA Tour level. He has flashed some upside. I mean, this is a guy that you know has finished in the top five in multiple PGA Tour events over the past year, some with better fields than this. And I just think that this is one of those courses. I mean, he's won here before in 2018, so pretty easy to make an argument in terms of course fit. But I think these are this is one of the courses where you can feel pretty comfortable about rolling out Matt Kuchar. There are certain courses where I think he's going to be really behind the eight ball just based on how short he hits it. These days, I do not think that this course is one of them. So I am totally in on Kucher. Do you think he'll be popular this week? Do you think we need to worry about popularity with him this week at 8K?
2: 8K, kind of, uh, with the history and people are, are seeing maybe how well he's playing. But I don't think you know he's going to be 20%, uh, maybe not even 15. But he'll, he'll yeah. carry some ownership. I'm just looking who. Who's around him and really nobody, which is kind of disappointing. So maybe people <laughs> right. do do land on him. I, I have some interest in Killer Keith above him. Um, but yeah, those, those are the guys in the AK range and Brian Harmon, uh, maybe Lee, yeah, yeah, that I have.
1: What do we do with Russell Henley? Because he's another guy nice. that if you're if you're making the case for Hoagie, right? Which I am doing, then pretty much everything that Hoagie does well, Russell Henley does well too. Right, so yep. it's 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 difficult to sit here. There's still this like weird stigma with Russell Henley, where he's just. It seems like he always freaking kills you, right? Like he's he like I feel like the fantasy and betting space has this love hate relationship with Russell Henley, and there are certain weeks where Russell Henley is eighteen to one on the betting board and ninety six hundred dollars, and it's like ah, you're really gonna bet Russell Henley at 20 to one. This is not one of those weeks. I think this is one of those weeks where I think he's 60 to one in the betting market. And I actually think that he is like, let me ask you a question. Would you blink if Russell Henley and Brendan Todd's prices were reversed or if even Russell (laughs) Henley or Jason days prices were reversed at ninety two hundred? right? Like, no, yeah, I wouldn't,
2: I wouldn't even think anything of it now. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty shocking when you first look at the board and you see Russell Henley next to, Alex Noren and you know Andrew Putnam and, and yeah, 8,200 or 8,400, excuse me. But Russell Henley is a model oddity. He can, he can yeah, pretty consistently ranks <laughs> yeah. in every single tournament that he's in pretty high in ball striking and approach and proximity numbers. It's just, it's just wild, but his results don't show anything. He's had one top five, two top five, two top 10 since Gosh, the beginning of last year, but yet yeah. every single tournament he models out well. He's so frustrating, and he came on tour, won his first tour event, and everyone thought you know he was you know going to be so great. And he we had a great first putting season, and that's letting him down. But man, Russell Henley, I think he is the 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 DFS modelers. It's your nightmare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I am one of. Uh, yeah, and me that's too. why, yeah, that, that is why, yeah, card carrying member for better or worse of that category where I get blinded by the stats sometimes. I haven't made a judgment call on him yet. I like Brian. Last last guy I want to mention in this range before we go into the 7k range. I like Brian Harmon a lot. Um, I was prepared to play Brian Harmon in the low nines this week when I made my pricing on Sunday, and I will happily play Brian Harmon at 8.9 K. I don't think he'll be uber popular this week. I just, I, he makes sense and he's not, I don't think he's going to be sneaking up on anybody. I think that anybody who's looking at numbers are going to say, ah, oh, this is probably a course where Brian Harmon might be a good idea, but I still think with D right below him, I still think people are just going to There, D3 has this like betting bandwagon that I don't think is really going to slow down, even though I would make the argument mm-hmm. that this is a course that probably takes away his biggest weapon. Um So I like Brian Harmon a lot at 8.9. Anything else you want to mention before we dive into the sevens? No, sir. All right, let's dive into the sevens. So there are a lot of players that I like in this range. I mean, it's a full field event. So you're getting a pretty juicy 7k range i think that i have uh, i have nine players highlighted um in this range i'm probably going to whittle that down to five by the end of the week but i guess we'll kick it to you first anyone kind of in this top tier from like 7.5 to 8 that really has your attention
2: yeah, Aaron Rye. Well, he just disappointed yeah. me with uh, with going last uh, last week at the the Butterfield Bermuda. Uh, but the ball strikers, there's something like you know Lee Hodges, the the who am I looking at? The Hubbards, the Hayden Buckley. All the ball strikers are always going to pop. But I I do got to give a shout out to my boy D Flowers, my um, pick to win last week, and I told him he was going to win. I guaranteed it was patrick rogers he finished third he and was in I the
1: max yeah he
2: was he was picked him to pick him to win um he, he plays well speaking of coastal courses i know this isn't but courses like butterfield bermuda or yeah. corrales or he plays well at, at those events but i i have a rule now that i, that I put in play the last couple of years if i'm really really high on a guy so i'm really high i was really high on rye and rogers last week I have a rule that I have to include him in the player pool the following weeks, because what seems to happen is I'm a week too early on a guy, even though the whole, the field, the course is very different. I seem to be one week too early on the guy. So I am still, and I wouldn't, if you haven't played Rogers, I would not recommend it. Uh, it, It's just a totally, he he is not good with the wedges. He's just bad, but I just have a rule and it, it, It says keep playing Rogers, and I'm going to go ride with it. He again, he did finish third last week. Hope he found something, but take with a grain of salt because he does always seems to play well on those type of coastal courses.
1: Well, how many DFS players fall into that recency bias,
3: right? Yeah, it's
1: like, and I know this is a bit of a bet at this point, and a lot of people that use this term are using it in jest. Um, but the whole idea of a blacklist is just something, for better or worse, I've never quite been able to understand, and I don't yeah. think is a worthy strategy if you're serious about winning money in DFS. I think no. you almost have to, um, you almost have to like operate under the inverse of that where it's like you have such a short-term memory loss and you do not believe in the concept of a blacklist whatsoever where you're actually willing to go back to players um, that maybe let you down last week. Look, I'm with you on Aaron Rye. I was pretty heavy on Aaron Rye last week. He was the headline selection uh, for my Rick article on Wednesday. I had him in like 70% of my lineups at 10.1, I think he was last week. And he finished t 50th right didn't kill me but didn't really get it done right. either like if you're heavy on Aaron rye last week at 10.1 and he finishes t 50 how are you not going to play him at 7.5 and like probably low ownership like how do you yeah, how no, do, it, how it, do it, you it, not like how does that it, how do you justify that in your head right and so I'm totally with you on rye I'm going right back to him
2: yeah. And I was just going to say real quickly that if you do take blacklist seriously, I know many don't, but if you do, and I I know for a fact, there's some of you all or some out there that do, <laughs> you're likely getting out of your skis a little bit with how much money you're investing each week, because if it comes that personal, right, and th- that means you're probably losing too much. And so that you scale it back. But yeah, you, it's easier to have a quick, quick memory if you don't feel like everything is on the line. So make sure you're, you're, investing what you can afford
1: totally agree a couple guys diving down a little bit lower i am a weird sucker for justin rose i don't know what the hell it is with me and this guy but at 7300 i'm gonna play the upside here my major champion
2: in this field at 7300 yeah there
1: we go 7300 major champion he's still i think there's still some statistical reasons to like him. I think that his skill set over a large sample size is conducive to this type of golf course. We just haven't seen him since the end of last year would be the big concern. But a couple of guys that I think are going to be really popular down here, Rob, Joel Damon, I bet you catches mm-hmm. a lot of steam. This is just yeah. a Joel Damon course. And trust me, I get it. Like if by some chance, Joel Damon's in the single digits, then I'll be there too. But I just... I have a sneaking suspicion that Joel Damon at seventy two hundred is going to be the. You guys notice Joel Damon past Paul? Like he's just (laughs) he just strikes me as the guy that is going to be one of the higher owned players in this range, and then Russell Knox too. I love Uh, Russell Knox. Russell Knox with the course history, I think maybe his kind of ho hum finish last week is really going to help us a little bit. I think that if Russell Knox finishes top 25 or top 10 in last week's field, then this is a guy that's probably 7,600 and double digits. We might catch a little bit of a break on him at 71, but still the guys that I really like in this range, Rose, I'm a big Kevin Strillman fan. I oh, yeah. got us. I got to see He'll it. He'll be
2: popular. I think
1: you think so. Strillman. Well, why do you say that?
2: So, I, so look over his last twenty-four rounds, people model chase you six in ball striking yeah. on approach. Um, third in total proximity. And that's great numbers from a guy golfer 7,100. Unfortunately, if you look further, the form doesn't show As you know, he, he finished 74th at Zozo, like near last Lost 11 and a half, lost strokes on approaching the Shriners, uh, lost strokes on approach to the Fortinet. I, I, I think so. I think his model numbers that people will just see are yeah. a little bit inflated. And so maybe I'm kind of just talking myself into a fade, but I like him. I, there's two guys I really appreciate. That's Justin Suh and Matt Wallace. Yep. Um,
1: Big time I, on saw this week. All yeah. over
2: it. And I don't think either of those guys are going to be that, that popular, uh, especially Wallace. Uh, nobody seems to like to play him. But at 7,100 and a guy good with the wedges, not in the best form, but you know he he he's played well. I was I was really high on him at the Shriner's. Twenty eight not going to kill you, but hey, if a guy's near the bottom of the seven K that finishes top twenty, that's not going to that. You know that's not enough. to.
1: Right. Last guy. I'm by the way, I'm huge on Sa as well. Um, mm-hmm. I love him this week. Uh, last guy I'll mention before we start talking about some sickos down here in the six K range. Mm-hmm. I was really heavy on Will Gordon last week at eighty seven hundred. I don't think that I was alone on that. I think that Will Gordon was somewhere around like 13, 14% last week. Listen, if you played Will Gordon at 8,700, 13, 14%, and you were quote unquote disappointed with his, what I don't know, T40 last week, stick Mm -hmm. around for one more week at 7K. Just, just stick around for, I'm just telling you right now, like stick around for one more week at seven point K. If, if Will Gordon was prominently featured in your player pool last week at 8,700, and now you're getting him at seven K because he had a bad Sunday and finished T40, that's dumb DraftKings. (laughs) If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're out after that, Mm -hmm. but that's all I got in the sevens. Um, you want to kick us off in the sixes here? Yeah, I mean, I'm.
2: I'm going to shout out uh, our our boy Icarito on the NLU guy. Chessfest <laughs> this Chessfest this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, I, Always. I, I I really like chess. And but a guy who burned a lot of people last week missed the cut. I I I wrote him up, but that's Callum Taren, sixty-seven hundred, going right back to the well, probably yep. at a severe ownership discount, definitely a severe salary discount.
1: 1500 um, salary discount. He was 8,200 yeah. last week and 15,
2: 16%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so people are, again, if you have that you know, blacklist mentality, if it burned you, if you went out of your skis, you're, you're going to avoid, uh, you're going to avoid them. But I I think you go right back to them. The other guy I like is Miss Lipsky, David Lipsky. Um, yeah. I mean, he got over not in the best form, but over the last 24 rounds, um, good with the wedges proximity from 100 to 125 ranks eighth approach 27 ball striking 22nd that's great numbers for a guy in the 6k range so david lepsky is the other guy i like down here
1: love lepsky i'll throw out ct pan at 6800 mm-hmm. i'm a big ct pan guy i bet ct pan at 180 to 1 like i actually i think this guy's Underpriced, in my opinion. I think that CT Pan should be in the low 7K range. He was rock solid last week. He was, uh, I think, he finished top 20. I, I, he was heavily featured for me last week. I think this is another golf course that. Um, plays right into his hands in terms of the things that CT Pan does well, whether it's short iron play, whether it's driving accuracy. He's actually had some okay finishes at this course before. Um, so I'm big on CT Pan. Lucas Glover is another guy that was pretty prominently featured for me last week at 7,500 that you know finished T60 and now he's 6,700. And again, like the reasons why we like a guy like Tom Hoagie or Russell Henley on this course, Lucas Glover does those things really well too. He's just not as good of a putter. Um, So I think at 6,700, I'll go right back to Lucas Glover. And then like, you know, Ryan Armour and Tyler Duncan are the classic like better stats than results guys that are probably going to show up as giant values in your model and then finish like T-50, I don't know if I see the upside with those guys. Like for me, I'm looking more in this range. Like, can this guy win? I think David Lipsky can win this tournament. I think Lucas Glover who won the John Deere can win this tournament. I think C.T. Pan, yeah. who won the heritage can win this tournament. I, I don't see Ryan Armour or Tyler Duncan raising the trophy, uh, but do you see anyone in this range that one thing I've noticed with the fall swing, at least that I've kind of enjoyed is you haven't seen any like, super gross 6k shock emerge i've noticed over the last couple weeks and maybe that's like a positive trend in the industry going forward that people are just kind of understanding like yo let's not conglomerate with a group think mentality around one of these 6k guys um but do you think any guy in this range is kind of like grossly mispriced or you see some giant ownership potential with
2: no, I I do like your how you, your comparison that CT Pan should be you know in the low seven k range. So he's probably underpriced. Uh, outside of that, I don't think there's any any standout ownership wise. Um, you know, maybe that David Lingmer should get a little bit of a look after he kind of had a, a a little bit of a resurgence. When was it? I mean, he played what the U.S. Open. Uh, made a couple cuts, but last week at the Bermuda finished 11 And a guy who's been known—he's a short little guy, not a big hitter, can uh, hit it well with the wedges. But outside of that, I don't think anyone's going to be super chalky. Um, but I like your CT Pan call. Someone maybe who's mispriced.
1: I don't think I have anyone else. I mean. Paul Haley, uh, I like at 6,500, but yeah, is there any guys that you want to give a quick shout out to before we wrap up? I think I've covered all of the names that I wanted to get to.
2: I think so, man, me too. I think I'm, I kind of said everybody that might need to be said and kind of this got me excited, looking forward to a decent field and maybe one of the last decent fields of the calendar year.
1: Could be, I think Houston might be good too. Um, did you make any bets, Rob, any outright bets you want to give mention to before we sign off here?
2: No, but uh, I haven't, I haven't looked at the card yet and I'm not one yeah. to, you know, I, I probably should, cause you can get good numbers earlier in the week. But if Russell Henley is at 60 to one, like you said, I'm yeah. gonna, probably going to definitely have to play that one, um, and so that I'll probably book that when we get off. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, shout out, shout out the jurors. But um, <laughs> yeah, other than that, no, uh, but, but we'll see what happens come, come Wednesday night.
1: Last question before we get out of here. Did you watch uh episode one, Taurus saw Scandinavia?
2: I did. And I, I can't wait till the next one comes out on, I think on Wednesday. On
1: Wednesday. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I, I love the golf, but I love how they they're taking more of a, 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 maybe an influence on the tourist aspect in a place right. like Scandinavia and Sweden. Yeah. You wouldn't think to go golf, but just seeing the culture and those guys are so warm and welcoming and the people they surround themselves with. It's so enjoyable. So yes, I have. And I loved it.
1: I'm with you. I, I was a giant smile on my face yeah. throughout that entire episode. Well,
2: let me, let me ask you real quick before we go, Andy, do you think that they'll come back after what <laughs> happened The last episode of Strap South Carolina. Do you think they come back and they do another strap?
1: Honestly, it was the kind of episode where it's like, if that's the final strapped ever, man, what a fun one to go out on. But I think they will. I think it's too popular of a series for them to ride off silently into the night, even though that episode would be kind of like the perfect capstone to the series. But yeah, I think they'll probably be back i hope they're back that's me my too. i mean I, it's tough for me what do you what would you say you enjoy more tourist sauce or strapped i go back and forth on this one
2: yeah it, it really depends and this is such a cheap answer but it really depends on the the episode so like where they're yeah, at that's um, the and, right answer
1: yeah. it's fair mm-hmm. it's a it's a cop out but it's the right answer
2: mm-hmm. okay well i appreciate that All right, Andy. Well, I appreciate your time this night, this Halloween night. Thanks for having me on.
1: Uh, You got it, buddy. Uh, Real quick before we get out of here. Do you have anything else to plug or anything you got going on this week that you want the listeners to check out? What happened to the approach, man? That was like one of my favorite podcasts. uh, It's just gone.
2: Yeah, well, we, we kind of put a pause on that. having a baby that's, it, you know, it, it's having having the time to do all that because you, I mean, just like you and you probably put a lot, you probably work a lot harder. Uh, probably you do. You look work a lot harder than I do at this, but it still was a lot of work putting that on and yeah. the uh, like running my own business and then a baby. It just it's hard having time, but I'm, I miss the community. I miss Drew. I miss everyone interacting. People are so kind and randomly check in, but Maybe, maybe we bring it back to, uh, you know, a Kapalua to start the, start the new calendar year, but, um, it, it's been nice just to be a fan and listen to yours. And I, you know, still still check in with Brian's and a few others. So it's nice to kind of be a little quiet and just, just be a fan.
1: All right. Well, I hope you guys, uh, come back maybe at least in January. I, I enjoyed that podcast. And as you know, I, I'm pretty picky with my taste with the, uh, the stuff that, Comes out in in this whole industry, and I really, I I was always a big fan of the approach. So I hope that you guys bring it back. Until then, Rob, it was good to see you, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Sounds good. All right, that is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Rob G. Special thanks to rick dot Special thanks to Par for success, and we will be back next week breaking down the Houston Open. I think. Until then. Best of luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the of your dream. Where steel crack and the, the back
0: stop.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?